Hi there. Welcome to the second episode of The Sherry Show. I am Sherry. This is my show. And on this episode, we will continue to talk about our social distancing film festival. This time, though, we'll be talking about the films that we thought were the worst ones of the 111. Yeah, tonight we hit 111 (laughs) films that we have been watching as a part of our social distancing film festival since last March. And by we, I mean Lisa, my sister, and Andy, my partner, are back. Um with me tonight to talk about this domestic project that we all share together. We are able to watch these movies across a couple of different streaming services. We have, of course, Netflix and Amazon, but we also use the Criterion channel as well as Mubi. Um, That's M-U-B-I. So thank you for tuning in again if you are back, and thank you for tuning in if you're here for the first time. I hope you'll enjoy this episode, and I also hope you will hit subscribe or follow and share too. So, enjoy! start with laughter again like the first episode so we are actually rolling and i'm going to say which of both of you wants to start with the films that you thought were the worst ones in the film festival i'll start (laughs) okay thank you yeah yeah so my number one worst film was The Wicker Man. And The Wicker Man was... Awesome. The Wicker Man was not awesome. The Wicker Man is also on my uh, least favorite, worst list as well. Lisa, tell us a little bit about The Wicker Man and possibly why we both hated it so much. Um, It just... It seemed to be gratuitous to me. And there are going to be spoilers here. There's just... It's about paganism. But... There's no real reason for any of what happens in the movie to happen. Does that make sense? It just isn't coherent. It doesn't make any sense. And in the end... I mean, they're like random people having sex on the lawn and looking directly at you, you know. Well, I mean, that's a part of their their pagan rituals, though. Like, I feel like more than... But what does that have to do with anything? In the end. I mean, in the end, it's... Don't make me defend this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don't make me defend I mean, this Andy movie. I love the movie, so what do you think? I don't love it. I mean, I like it. Um... You know, it has its sensationalistic side. I mean, it was made in the early 70s at a time when kind of like B-sensationalism took that form. Um, but, you know, it's also, it's it's kind of tightly plotted in the sense that, you know, a detective goes to investigate something and you think one thing is happening and then something else is actually happening. I mean, I feel like some of the, the stuff that, that, that it had going on that I think Lisa is objecting to... Um, detracted some from the tightness of that plot like but also like I figured the plot out like halfway through and it wasn't really very satisfying you know 
it really wasn't satisfying and at in the end and i'm looking i'm actually looking at the critic reviews for the wicker man and it's gotten i mean it's one of these cult movies and i think it was it really has to do with the time in which it was made and that's maybe something we should consider like people born in that time or that have a greater connection to that time frame as andy said like b movies from the 70s yeah they they would have more of a connection with a film like this because i don't know why really because i was you know well it was just born then but um well, maybe maybe Andy cuz it was Andy's pick and he was really really very excited to to share this movie with us. It was one that we watched on the weekend and we were he was talking about it all week. It was like Tuesday it was on Friday we're going to watch Wicker Man, right? Like there was a lot of hype and lead up. And so yeah. Andy as one of your picks, what do you like about Wicker Man? It's you know, it is kind of like it's tightly plotted. It's got a twist. What's the um, twist? The twist is... No spoilers. He says no spoilers. The twist is what happens to the detective. Like, he goes looking for one thing and they... But then that's another sensation. And by the way, I read that... The interesting thing about the movie is actually how it was made and how it came together. It's not the actual movie. I read that the, the, the guy who played um, the detective, that was the first time he, he saw that structure. So when he said, oh my God, he was really, that was really the first time he had seen it. That so he was like, actually think, well, that's an yeah, interesting point. it is an interesting point. I mean, but apart from, and then the, what's her name? The model that was in it, Britt Eklund, she was pregnant in the film. And they got a prostitute to play like that dancing scene. But what happened, remember the dancing scene? There was a beauty to this movie though. Like the, the, lo- the location was, where was this place again? It was in the Hebrides. It was... It's like, islands off of Scotland. There was one scene... I think I know where this movie went south for me. There was one scene where they're in the graveyard. And he, um, there's a mom in the, in the graveyard with her kid. And it's just sort of... What is this scene saying? Oh, yeah. The mom is breastfeeding in the... Among the... Among, among the, the graves. Grave. And so there are these moments that, you know, there's really nothing wrong with a mom breastfeeding in the graveyard, but just to sort of understand it as how is this connected to the larger plot plot of the movie was. I feel like a lot of these things were thrown in there to kind of throw you off of the, the trail of the movie too, though, because of the twist. Like a lot of the things that we objected to were things that were put to... Yeah, I mean, although a lot of that stuff is also like the contrast between their paganism and his yeah. like Calvinism. Yeah, 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 and yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the you know, the kind of the, the symbolic import of like breastfeeding in the grave, because I mean, they're continually talking about how when people die, they feed the trees. I mean, it's it's a different conception of the relationship between life and death, and so I don't, I don't think it's quite gratuitous in that sense. Yeah. I, I think it plays into a kind of thematic concern in the movie. No. I don't really think it's as deep as that because the film certainly wasn't. <laughs> it just wasn't. <laughs> All right. That was a lot on Wicker Man. That was like one of the most contentious ones of the film festival. Um, your turn. My turn? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I mean, we watched a lot of movies and some were kind of bad. Like, um, you know, like we watched Tyler Perry's A Fall From Grace, which is bad, but kind of, you know, it's not on my top three just because it's kind of charmingly bad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in the end, like, the ones that I really disliked, I think, um, kind of in contrast to a year of watching, like, a lot of kind of movies made in many different places and, you know, kind of all over the world, um, was just, you know, we, we came back and we watched WW84. I didn't the get that. Movie. Could you try again? Hey. No. Siri. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go ahead. That's funny. We watched WW84, the Wonder Woman movie, um, and, uh, you know, it, it just you realize kind of like how kind of like shallow that kind of Hollywood product that, you know, I mean, I was perfectly happy to go see in theaters prior to the quarantine kind of is. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a long movie, like... They're all over long. two hours. Um, you know, um, with, with you know, I just thought not a lot of payoff and kind of like, kind of politically problematic because it's, you know, it seems to be like, oh, kind of criticizing Donald Trump in a way, but then because of the way the plot works, it's also a criticism really of like anybody who wants the world to be any different. So it's kind of defense of the status quo politically. Um, you know, and so I just, it, 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 you know, it sort of by contrast, I mean, um, sort of made you realize, you know, like in some way how, how mediocre typical Hollywood product is, you know, and like not charmingly bad, just kind of mediocre. Do you think that's like a thing that's that's innate to, 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 to this particular Wonder Woman movie itself? Or is this you realizing something during a pandemic film festival about the genre? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, like, I would have to go back and kind of, like, watch the movies, you know, like the Marvel movies that I do like. I mean, although I think I would still like, I like Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. And I would like Black Panther to watch it again, you know. And, like, like realizing, you know, that they've got kind of, like, problems with their militarism, and that they're kind of silly in a way. Um, but, you know, I don't think quite as bad as that. Um, and so, so you know, I think that was the one that kind of, like, topped my list. And again, kind of, like, you know, not charmingly bad. Like, just kind of, like, mediocre in a way that just is kind of off-putting, I think, in contrast. I mean, I also, you know, like, I also, second on my list was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which... Ooh, controversial! <laughs> well, you know, I, I know, like, a lot of people like it, and it's obviously, like, adapted from August Wilson, but there's a way in which, you know, kind of, like, the, you know, again, the kind of, like, the style of acting and, and you know, the kind of, like, the intense kind of, like, monologues, um... And, and, you know, a kind of reliance on kind of, like, black suffering mm-hmm. in a kind of lurid black way. Black female suffering in a lurid way. Yeah. Um, you know, in the end, um, you know, I think there's a problem I always have with kind of, like, stage plays that are adapted for films, um, especially when, you know, it's, like, kind of carrying the style of acting over. And, I, you know, I, I think, as I said last time, like, I just... Um, you know, in terms of thinking about, like, black theater and what it can do, like, I think Last Black Man in San Francisco does a really interesting and good job of that. Um, but, you know, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like, in some ways, like, like one way I would explain it, you know, like, I sort of have that, we had the discussion about the 40-year-old version last time and the thing that the protagonist in the 40-year-old version is concerned with, which is a kind of white appropriation of black suffering. And this felt to me a lot like it was kind of just doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, the appropriation of um of black suffering there, like the long monologues from the, the, the Chadwick Boseman character, that long monologue about what happened to his mother and how that is like the entirety of, 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 of his motivation while she's just sort of off screen is, is really tricky. I mean, but you know, we can't we can't leave we can't leave Ma Rainey and not talk about Viola Davis and how she kinda clinched that role too, right? Like the form itself is is troubling, but she she was, you know, really, really amazing in that. She was great. You know, I mean yeah, I mean we watched, you know, kind of like a movie called Cain River, which is like, um, <laughs> it's just a kind of, like it's a romance film. You remember Cain River? Week from 1982, <laughs> but like black director, black cast. Um, you know, and like uh, as kind of formulaic as it was in some ways. You know, like like it was. It was interesting to see a kind of you know like attempt to make a black movie even that early without like black suffering. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and so in some ways, yeah. like that kind of felt, um, you know, like more interesting to me, um, even though you know, like the performances were not obviously like. Oh my God, the singer in that movie—you guys, you guys remember the soundtrack, where it was just like this, <laughs> this made for for movie R&B, Cane River, the soundtrack. If you if you ever watch Cane River, like a thing to go to Cane River for is absolutely the soundtrack to that movie. Okay, Lisa, what's what's another one on your um, on your I did not like list? I did not like um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ooh, another controversial pick. Yeah, I know that that's a <laughs> you know like a classic, but I didn't like the film. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, I thought it was stupid, <laughs> and that's like a like it, I thought the characters were were really dumbed down. I know that they were trying to do something with the time travel and bringing in all these different periods, but I thought the just the level of dumbing down detracted from what they were trying to do. It was like they were trying to do two parallel things that sort of canceled each other out, if that makes any sense. Um yeah, and it, you know, like, I, I mean, saying at this time, like, it definitely didn't, like, it was not as enjoyable as when I saw it in the theater when it came out, um, you know, and I think, like, like, also just kind of, like, you know, that kind of, like, the, the funniness of the kind of smart stupidity, um, you know, is, is something that people are more familiar with, and so it's sort of less funny, less funny or less, you know, kind of. That's like a whole genre in the eighties, right? Like yeah. these high school movies that does that kind of. Yeah, no. Well, did but we... I think what this was trying to do was kind of like elevate that with some kind of winking cleverness, mm-hmm. um, and so it's different from just you know the kind of. Um, so what you're saying is like our experience with that form is something that kind of made us experience it as something that wasn't necessarily as novel as it was in its contemporary moment, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you kind of like thought through it, you could think of like lots of TV shows that that do something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, which is not to say that, like, I thought it was Citizen Kane when it came out, but I remember kind of, like, enjoying it more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I totally, I, I, I get the point that it, it sort of doesn't hold up. 
mm-hmm. in those ways. Yeah. So I only had three worst. So it's actually my worst three. Really? I mean, that says that says something about the the um the whole process, though, right? Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't to... say that they're they're you know the the others that we watched were like the worst. These are definitely films that I would never see again. <laughs> you know, I just wouldn't. Um, and I would steer people away from seeing. You know, just like don't see those. Films. Don't see those. Movies. No, but you know, of course, people have different tastes. As oh, was the third one? obviously from this conversation, I did not like the Virgin Suicides. Um, That's a controversial one. That one. This is going to be very problematic, but um, I did not feel any sympathy for those women um, growing up during that time period, and just it's a weird moment to watch that yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I just felt like, no sympathy for them. It's a weird moment to 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 to, to I, I I think I understand what you're saying. Um, in our contemporary moment, where um, where we're thinking a lot about. White womanhood, yeah. in particular, um, it, it 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 it's a challenging one to watch generously. Um, and if yeah, and it's the kind of you know, I mean, the kind of like the lyricism and, and like her as a director, um, you know, and I don't think it's as good as Lost in Translation, but it's kind of the mode that she works in. Um, and I, I mean, what kind of struck me this time actually was. Um, how much the movie is explicitly about whiteness. You know, yeah. it's really like... Yeah, yes, yeah. That is at the heart of the film. And so, I yeah. Mean, yeah, but I mean, in a kind of explicit and not entirely uncritical way. And so, you know, like we also watched like the Bee Gees documentary, How Can You Can Can You Mend Oh my God, I love that one so yeah. much. We that looked across really at each other and we were both crying. It was hilarious. But that one did <laughs> have a kind of like strong sense, um, you know, which is totally true, which kind of like music historians have been saying for a long time about how the kind of backlash against disco was like a backlash against black people yeah, yeah. and Puerto Rican people and gay people. Um, and so, you know, I mean, in that way, like this movie, you know, it really it kind of like hit home in the prom scene where they go to the prom and like... Um, you know, like one of the songs that they play is is Ten CC, and it's kind of like literally the song that Jive Talking knocks off the number one spot in the charts when Jive Talking goes to number one, and so it's it's just kind of like literally like every song that they play at the prom scene is literally kind of the white pop canon before mm-hmm. um, before it gets on before disco. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, and they're all kind of like great songs in a way um, but you realize like how much the movie is intensely interested in whiteness and also kind of like you know interested in environmental stuff in a way with the kind of um, you know the, the kind of the motif of the trees dying um, and um, and so kind of going back to the movie this time like like kind of what struck me was like how much there is stuff going on actually beyond just the lyricism mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this observation that Lisa is making is really great, like, about how to, to think about a movie like that. It's another one of those cases of, like, what it meant in its sort of contemporary moment and what it means to have that as a film document right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think and that's it, a really cool point. also casts all of the characters in this. They managed to cast all the characters in this really sympathetic or just neutral light which is only possible in a film about white people in their whiteness if that makes any sense 
Except the parents. Yeah, the mother. The, the mother, mother. The mother, mother was gets, problematic. Yeah. But she was, you know, she was horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. she she was horrible in that sense. But but yeah, it it was difficult. The languidness, the just sort of malaise of everybody floating through in semi-consciousness. Picnic at Hanging Rock versus The Virgin Suicides. Um, I actually liked Picnic at Hanging Rock because... Um, I think there was more going on there. It's a different thing. Um, I think it's a different thing because it's, it's rooted also, it has the element of that spirituality of of the rock, you know, that rock having some sort of energy or force or what have you. So I think there, the, the, a good comparison would be Picnic at Hanging Rock and Wicker Man. <laughs> you know, though that those are two similar in terms of I, it I, having to do with some paganism or some force, some ethereal force. So like Wicker Man would have been a little bit better if it had some more lyricism to it. Or well, the thing about um Picnic at Hanging Rock was also the cinematography, right? Yeah. There's a lot of layers to that. Yeah. It's quite, I mean, you know, and it's really, it's kind of like, um, I mean, what's striking in some ways, because I had never seen Picnic and Hanging Rock, is really going back to it and seeing how ambitious it is when, you know, like, Peter Weir goes on in his career to be like a kind of filmmaker of kind of just middle ground movies, like Witness and Yeah, like, Society, yeah, yeah. Like movies that are not great, um, you know, that are kind of like quirky and interesting and you'll watch them. Um, mm-hmm. but not not great um, and, and I think Dead Poets Society is actually kind of bad um, I kind of like Dead Poets Society oh, oh. I, I haven't seen Dead Poets Society I mean from what I remember of Dead I mean I saw it when I was really I young, haven't seen so it maybe. I whisper I hope nobody heard that maybe we should watch it next um, time no 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 you should not watch it bad as what was the heist <laughs> movie there was a I feel like I'm mixing it up with a heist movie um the Tupac one with Janet Jackson? No, I haven't. No, I didn't see that one. I didn't see Tupac on Janet Jackson. What else is on your, um, Andy? I think those were Lisa's three. I think it's cool that, like, out of, like, 105 films, I mean, not 110 films, like, Lisa, who could come up with a list of, like, five ongoing of ones that she really, really, really liked, only came away with, like, three that she was just like, never again! Yeah. Never again. I think Although that's a cool. At least I really disliking Playtime when we watched it too. Oh, some of these I may have erased from my memory. Poetic Playtime? Justice was the film that I was thinking about. Playtime was Playtime again. Oh no, Playtime. Yeah, I forgot about that one. That's. I know what Playtime was doing. It was just too hard to watch. I think one of the things too about the the, the film festival was. If a movie was hard to watch and it was at the end of a long week and we were tired, like I feel like we watched Playtime at a point when we didn't have the energy for it. Tell us about Playtime a little bit, Andy. Jacques Tati, like one of his movies about French post-war society. Um, there's a weird way in which he's, you know, kind of like a silent director working well into the, um, the sound era. Um, 
you know, so not a lot of dialogue in the films and not a lot of plot, and it's mostly kind of people moving through space and doing things. Yeah. Um, I mean, we like hard movies like that, but I just feel like the playtime, playtime wasn't... Maybe well, that was a Saturday night movie versus a... I mean, it should yeah, have been a Saturday it should have been, night movie. And it was like movie. a Friday night movie. Uh, well, maybe. I mean, you know, we watched it after Tempopo in part because, like, I think there's... There Inspiration. There are ways in which and its kind of movement through Tokyo is inspired by... Mm-hmm. It's kind of episodic movement through Tokyo is inspired by playtime mm-hmm. or, or by shop tattoo generally. Oh, Temple Boy is another really great food movie that was a lot of fun too. Um, that we loved the noodles and <laughs> the drinking of ramen and the making of the the best ramen was 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 pretty great. You got any more ones that you don't you didn't like? Uh, your least favorite, worst, however we're calling it. You know, I. I mean, I, the other one on my list was, um, uh, I'm reaching for the name. Portrait of Jason. Yeah, it was Portrait of Jason, um, which is a documentary from 1967 um, that, I, that I think all of us dislike. Yeah, we all, uh, Portrait of Jason is also on my worst list. Um, and it was on my worst list because I feel like it, it 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 showcased all of the problems with with the with the with the attempts at doing documentaries that do cinema verite. Um, so the, the the protagonist was filmed by a director and her partner, and they plied him with he's 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 a gay man. Um, it was made in the sixties. Yeah, sixty seven. He was made in sixty seven, and he's he's the only person on camera. And they basically ply him with alcohol and um, weed for the duration of the documentary um, while he tells them stories of his life. And it gets progressively sad. And as it gets sadder and sadder, the director's partner, who is off camera, starts to become abusive towards the, 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 the protagonist. And he starts to cry even harder. And it's just... It's it's extremely exploitative. It's extremely uncomfortable to watch, um, and it's 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 like textbook all the problems with 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 like documentary filmmaking that tries to capture subjectivity of somebody else in this way. Yeah, I mean Shirley Clark, who you know is not African American herself, but like did movies on African American subjects, and I can't say I'm sort of motivated to see any of them uh, after that. It is, I think, you know, it's kind of like. Um, you know, when people kind of like criticize or make fun of documentary before a certain point for being kind of unself-aware and exploitative in this way, like I think this is what they're looking at. Like if you've ever seen the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is like um, Denise Roberts and uh, Kirsten Dunst, like it's a comedy about a beauty pageant in Minnesota, like the Butter Queen or something. But I there's just a I kind have. of like small sub. Butter Queen sounds familiar. <laughs> there's a kind of small subplot thing about like a documentary film crew that's filming it, and at one point, like they watch somebody being beaten up, and like they, they talk about how they can't intervene because of because of the ethics of documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think you know, like that's the joke that's being applied there. Um, so yeah, I mean that that as a movie you know in in general like we watch a lot of documentaries and i realized like how much um like we see a lot of documentaries every year at the true false film festival and like there you sort of rely on the screening 
of the festival organizers to bring really good stuff. And so you, you, you know, you sit there for a weekend and you think, oh, all documentary is great. And then, you know, kind of like left to your own devices, you watch all the documentaries and a lot of them are just kind of like boring, um, you know, like un, underdeveloped, mm-hmm. in this case, kind of exploitative. Um, you know, so like, you know, again, of all the documentaries that we watched, like I can't say I liked any of them that much except for, except for the Bee Gees film. Which, you know, I thought was like, uh, it was both... Diana Kennedy. Oh, the Diana Kennedy documentary was good as well. That's right. You are totally into the Hilma of Klimt one, too. I like that one a lot. It was great. Um, and, and, and the fungus one. That yeah. was also good. But even the fungus one, you know, it's kind of like more like the kind of interest of the subject matter mm-hmm. that carries it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I said so, you know, I thought the Bee Gees was actually like it was it was good just insofar as it, you know, like on the one hand was kind of straightforward, but then on the other hand, built in some kind of like elements of pathos that didn't just have to do with telling you about the music and their biographies. And, and you know, it was also, again, kind of like smart about, you know, like Disco Demolition Night in Chicago being a kind of like first moment of Trumpism. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, you know, I mean, I, I mean, all of that is to say, you know, that like kind of like, you know, I, I guess this like one of the lessons for me was like how how much bad documentary there is if you don't know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So another one of mine that I did not like was that um, that French one. How do you say it? The collection news. La Connection News. La Connection News. Because it is such a stereotypical French movie from the late 60s. Yeah, it's just like a guy goes to the countryside to stay in his friend's ramshackle chateau thing, and there's a pretty girl there, and um, oh yeah, and it's just them berating her for different reasons um, across the landscape of the film, and everybody being profoundly bored. And yeah, it was beautiful, though. It's beautiful. But it's I mean, a beautifully shot film. The location the, was really pretty. Yeah, the 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 subjects were also very lovely to look at, but it was just like the level of boredom and yeah, similar misogyny. To, and, yeah, yeah, and it was you know it was like kind of like just a kind of like I think a kind of stereotyped version of kind of like French film post Godard. Um, you know, so like even some Godard gets boring for me, but this this is just sort of like oh that has become a formula and now we're just going to kind of repeat that formula. I mean, I kind of picked it too because like I know Lisa likes the, the we've watched a, a couple of really good French ones but this was no. a miss. This was a miss, wasn't it? I I thought it was interesting. You know, I mean, it, it's, I think that, and it's funny because this, the attitudes of the characters here are very similar to the attitudes of the characters in The Virgin Suicides, I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of blah, like, I'm just going to loll around and lay around and be, have a life of, in this case, leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the other, in The Virgin Suicide, it was forced, you know, they were forced to do that. So that's a little bit different, but. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, like, there's there's great stuff being made in France in the late 60s, like Playtime. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or like... Um, Lisa like had. Jean-Pierre Melville, and you know, like we saw Le Cercle Rouge, which is a great high school. Was that the one Lisa picked? By Melville, yeah. That's yeah, Lisa movie. picked that one. That was a fun one. Um, hmm. You know. Uh, Lisa's like, which one is that again? <laughs> yeah, know, where I'm the trying rear... to. What was the one that we watched with the guy and the um, the equipment that he was using to uh, listen? 
conversation. The conversation. conversation. That was really excellent. Yeah, you yes. picked that one. Did you know that was an no, that was an Andy pick? No, no, no. No, I think I think that was a you pick. The conversation. Yeah. I don't think that that was me. No, that was you. That was you, I think. That's one of the ones that you picked that I had to hide that I was enthusiastic. About. Yes, I remember that. So you wouldn't withdraw. I did. I remember yeah. that. You totally picked that one, Lisa, because Andy was low-key excited. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was so great. He was wonderful. I love that film. That I mean, was that great. was the one with a good twist, right? Consensus. Um, <laughs> how did we get there from France in the late 60s? France in the late 60s? I don't know. How did we get there, Lisa? You you brought it up. It's not related. I was just trying to have been trying to remember the, the name, name of, of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not related to what we were talking about at all. Everybody wrongly hated the Seventh Seal, um, which is to say, everybody who watched it because Lisa just walked out. Mm. Yeah, Lisa. But then Lisa picked. <laughs> Black Orpheus. <laughs> uh, I like know, Black Orpheus. And everybody like Black Orpheus. Like I like Black Orpheus, but like those two are like the kind of like the twin poles of like. Oh, art this film, in the 50s. yeah. Literally, you guys that are listening, I was ten minutes into this and just walked out. I, I, what happened beyond the the first the opening but scene? It's very similar. Why do you think Black Orpheus and the Seventh Seal is the same movie because it, they both work with with mythology. Yeah, I mean they're like both kind of existential quest narratives, um, you know, and they're both kind of like I mean popular in U.S. art cinema in the fifties. I mean because you know in comparison with kind of like Hollywood films in the fifties, again they're quite interesting. Um, but you know they're both kind of um, they're both not as invested in plot so much as in. Um, Aesthetics, Aesthetics, what it looks like. Yeah. Black Orpheus is a much more vibrant film than The Seventh Seal is. There Nobody is. Would call The Seventh Seal vibrant. It, it, it's got death playing chess with somebody else. It's, it's dreary. It's carriages riding through. It's, 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 it's executions. Like I think, I think there are ways to, to think about Black Orpheus as this arty film that is able to hook a watcher more than 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 some of the yeah maybe although i mean i think if you want to kind of like um you know expand or have a kind of strong sense of film history like like bergman is something you know not just the seventh seal but like all his movies like like there's a kind of like a film language there that you have to at least be familiar with i mean i i i, I hear that but and, and I watch these movies with you and, and I get them, but that doesn't mean I think that they're great films. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like the O Hazard Balthazar or Joan of Arc um, that both, I'm just, no. It, it's just like a big no to them. And there you have it. That was our discussion of the ones that we just did not like and you know, how that helps us to think about our film taste moving forward. The next time we talk about our film festival, which will be the last time, we'll talk about the ones that surprised us because for as much as this conversation kind of helped us to consolidate the things that were really objectionable to us, I think we also watch films that challenged exactly that idea about our tastes. So 
thank you again to Lisa and Andy for indulging me in this conversation. And the next time we'll talk, we will talk about the ones that were the most surprising. <laughs>